0: This is the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland.
1: What's going on, Wildcatters? It's Colin here. I think after two years of doing this show, this is my first time doing the intro. So, I'm changing it up on you, keeping you on your toes. Jake's out on vacation this week, so I'm taking over and maybe I'll uh, just take over the intro from now on to change it up a bit. But before we get into the show, want to let everyone know that we are having a digital wildcatters block party coming up on April 24th. So it's gonna be on the website soon. Should be later this week. Check it out. We're gonna have a ton of crawfish, ton of beer. I think we're gonna have um some games out there like I think we're getting like six sets of cornhole boards and all kinds of crazy stuff. So make sure to check it out. It's going to be a good time. It's going to be good to get everyone together. I think we're planning on having about 200 people there. So be a great networking opportunity. Again, check it out on the website. It should be up later this week. Now to get into the show. We had a really good episode this week. We had Ben Heitzelman. I hope I said that right, Ben, from Energy Domain on the show. Now You may know Ben from another popular startup, Mineralware. So, They've started building this new product called Energy Domain, and he dives into it on the show to tell us exactly what they're building. And it's pretty cool stuff because essentially what they're doing is building a marketplace for oil and gas assets. And it's something that I'm really passionate about is niche marketplaces. And especially in this industry, you know, we have some listing websites, but at the end of the day, that's all they are is listing websites. And I think that there's a next step change over the next decade for um, some true oil and gas asset exchanges and marketplaces so really cool episode coming up here hope you guys enjoy
0: it what's up wildcatter nation welcome back to another episode of the oil and gas startups podcast do i need a new intro is this is this played out we've been doing i don't know we've been doing it for so so long i just kind of just press play (laughs) and i just start talking and it comes out so it's another cold rainy day here in houston we got our buddy ben ben i can't pronounce your last name is it heinzelman yeah good job Okay, Damn. Well, shit, first got right the first one right for one. I once. was like, because I've butchered so many names. <laughs> yeah, Funny story. Tough. We called a guy whose name is Duke. I called him Duck one time, but it was pronounced D U C. Duke, if you're listening, we love you. Um, but I said that live. We're well, not really live. I guess it's edited. But, anyways, you're here with Energy Domain slash, do we want to say slash middleware? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Slash. Yeah. slash. slash. We, we're not talking about the next one yet. Oh, we can talk about next okay. one. Okay. <laughs> energy Freelance. Energy Freelance. Yeah. I'm excited about that. Uh, I was talking to Jason from y'all's team over Mineral World the other day. He was telling me about it. And or maybe you and I might have talked about it a while back on the phone. I probably did. Probably. I tend to I tend to be a loud mouth. <laughs> so where do we even want to start? You yeah, to how's start the best way to domain? unpack this?
1: Because Energy Domain was the evolution of an idea at Mineralware. Correct me if I'm wrong. Correct. You want to talk about you know what Mineralware was and how you guys identified the need in the market for Energy Domain? Or do you want to tell us what Energy Domain is first?
2: Yeah, so, um, well, Energy Domain is a marketplace for oil and gas properties. Starting out, we're specific to minerals, royalties, and non-op. We'll be rolling out operated properties hopefully sometime this summer. Um, But, yeah, it all stems from mineralware. So, just kind of a quick background. I mean, I'm I'm a landman originally by trade. I went to OU, went through the PLM program, energy management program. And it's very much like a feeder into, you know, being an in-house landman. And, like, that's all anybody ever wants to do coming out of that program which is great. Um, and I was I was in-house for a few years and uh, pretty much like learned everything I wanted to in a short period of time. And I just didn't want to chase a rig around the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I connected with Ryan Vinson, who's our CEO. And Ryan was over a uh, oil and gas advisory group at a bank and they managed like 120 mineral owners. And one of the prospects I was putting together at the operating company I was with, um, it was really tough to lease because it was really chopped up acreage. And so I was just blasting calls and mailers and all kinds of stuff out. And um, I got in touch with Ryan. He happened to manage one of the families I was trying to lease. And we just kind of hit it off on the phone and kind of went back and forth. And he's like, you know, I'm just building a house in Fort Worth. We should get together sometime. And so the next week, I'm looking for a job. And the next week, I reached out to him, and um, he just ghosts me and, like, doesn't text me back or anything. And I was like, man, that really sucks. So, fast forward, like, two months, I was, like, getting on Indeed every day, like, looking for jobs. And uh, there's a new landman opportunity at a startup mineral management company in Fort Worth. And I was, like, perfect. Like, I'm 25, you know, no kids, freshly married. Let's give this a shot. And uh, so, so it happened to be Ryan, who was, uh, who had started the company. And I happened to be the second resume in the door out of, like, 500 you know, cause this was, I mean, it was, uh, it was, it was kind of a, it was coming off of the downturn of the, you know, the Barnett sort of low gas prices, mm-hmm. especially in Fort Worth, like land jobs were hard to come around. And, um, so I ended up, he's, you know, we get in touch and he, uh, we had the lunch and I was like, Hey, by the way, you never texted me back. The other day he goes, oh man, like that was my Midland number. I changed that like the week before. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, so anyway, we started, I mean, it was very rudimentary. I mean, it was, you know, we're a 600 square foot office. We had every intention of being a mineral management firm with a software component to it. And Mm -hmm. that's how we were going to differentiate ourselves from like, you know, the Frost Banks, the JP Morgans, the, the farmers, like all those big groups that manage big swaths of minerals. And then, uh, that was late 14. And obviously oil prices, 110 bucks, everybody's just kicking ass and it was, it was good times in the industry. And then 15 hit and we're like, man, it is really hard to compete service wise with these big banks and trust departments and that sort of thing. So we went the path of least resistance was, you know, which was focusing on the software component. And it was something that was really needed in the space at the time. Which is, you know, it's a mineral and royalty management tool, mineralware, which is, think of it kind of like a, it's a, a mapping data platform that overlays an individual or a company's assets and allows them to attach documents, process check stubs, and that sort of thing. And um, as you can imagine, like our first cl- sort of type of client when we started out was like your individual, as I was talking to y'all earlier, was like your individual that owns a few sections out in, you know, Midland County or the Midland Basin, Delaware Basin, wherever. And uh, just because we didn't have the functionality a lot of these bigger groups needed. And then so we brought on some capital, we brought on uh, Larry Brogdon as our, as our backer. And uh, we basically you know, started adding a bunch of bells and whistles and our client base started to evolve a little bit into your institutional type folks, banks, trust departments. Now we're able to partner with these banks because we're not offering the same services that they are. That they are. And, uh, and then we started to get into the mineral aggregating space. So about 18 months ago, we released a lot of features that were very specific to this mineral aggregating space. And, um, like I was mentioning to you earlier as well, like the feedback was, Hey, this is awesome. We love it. We want to actually buy and sell properties online. So that essentially is the genesis of, uh, of energy domain. I know I've kind of been talking a lot, but, um, you know, and <laughs> the, the way that we're kind of differentiating. So with energy domain, it's much more technology driven. You know, most of the traditional online platforms are much more kind of, they're brokers with a little bit of technology, whereas we are simply the exchange. We've sort of put all these processes in place to automate the listing process, um, so you're not having to go through like a middleman at the comp- you know, at the the online exchange, you know, company or the broker to create a listing for you. Um, it's basically as simple as getting on, you know, obviously going through the registration process, and then it's a guided wizard on the front end that kind of walks you through it. There's a lot of automation that imports revenue data, there's mapping involved, um, there's an automated closing process. So trying to kind of take the human element out of it as much as possible Mm -hmm. um, and sort of streamline, you know, management into transaction and then ultimately into the service side, which is what freelance is. Because I think like the first iteration
1: of, you know, not just in oil and gas, but in other sectors as well was you'd have like Like you said, like a broker that had a little bit of technology enabled and a little bit of technology that was enabled is essentially a website, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, you can see listings online, but it's still very much a manual process behind the curtain and just traditional brokerage process. So what you guys are actually trying to do is build a pure play exchange where you know, you're, you're hosting it, but the, the bid ask is, you know, it, it's executing automatically.
2: Yeah. So like one of the biggest, so yes, to answer your question, yes. But, um, one of the biggest differentiators is a lot of these other platforms are kind of auction specific and they'll kind of like try to talk down to a reserve price because they have so much human capital involved in creating the listing that, you know, they, it, You know, there's since there's no automation, like basically at that point, you know, the seller is is uh, having to talk themselves down as to what they think their asset is worth, and then they end up you know unhappy because they end up getting less. And uh, so for us, we've created a second option where instead of doing an auction, you can do a continuous list or a non auction process. Where essentially, because we don't have the the same human capital involved, so we really don't care if a listing doesn't sell per se, obviously we want them to transact and sell, but we're not out a bunch of time and and effort and energy because there's so much sort of automation on the front. And so for a seller, for example, that, you know, maybe is not necessarily ready to sell today, but they just want to kind of field offers on the side. I mean, you literally on our platform can list anonymously, um, and you cannot even put a price on it if you don't want to, if you just want to field offers on the side. Um, So that's kind of one of the main differentiators.
1: Not to put you on the spot here, um, but just have an interesting. <laughs> but to question. put you on the spot here, <laughs> yeah, but to put you on the hot seat. No, because I've been involved in building marketplaces and exchanges, mm-hmm. and so I may mean, have broken down like business models for like cadre and you know mm-hmm. commercial real estate platforms that are doing the same thing. And the you know like kind of like the holy grail is getting to this point where you can have this automated exchange mm-hmm. where assets can change hands. But what seems to be a problem is. Um, you know like the quality of assets and like how do you like how do you guys think about that problem because what happens always is Okay, you can automate the process, but someone puts up a shitty asset and then, mm-hmm. you know, there's just something wrong with the deal and then it comes back at it's like, "Oh, well, Energy Domains hosting this on their platform." Yeah. So it's almost a reflection of you guys even though you're fully removed from sure. the process. So, have you guys, you know, thought about how that operates because even like like I bust Cadre's balls all the time because they used to really promote that we're a data driven. We've got proprietary mm-hmm. algorithms for identifying the best properties. But then I would go on LinkedIn. I'm like, why do you got 300 employees that are all investment banking backgrounds? It's because you got tables full of people doing due diligence on deals and making sure that you're putting up quality projects mm-hmm. on the platform. So how do you guys
0: yeah, it's think like, So do that? you even care about that or do you?
2: No, no, we do. I mean, absolutely. So um, as much automation as involved, you're right. Like there is a, a little level of due diligence, like especially on the land side, we do we'll do kind of a cursory title check, just to make sure that like when a seller's putting a property up, like that they own, they own they it. actually own it. So <laughs> just step think, one, yeah. Which <laughs> like I mean, believe it or not, I mean I there's a lot this, of people that have told me they're concerned about that because there's a lot of guys that you know have made money brokering minerals, and you guys probably know a lot of them, and that's fine. But we're not allowing them on our platform. I mean, yeah. you have to be you have to be the last grantee on the most recent conveyance in order to list a, a property. Now that being said said, um, we also recognize the fact that there's a certain threshold of deals. So when you get up to like your six, seven, $8 million deals, typically that's going to involve a lot more technical analysis, like your iBank guys, like you mentioned. Yeah. So we're already in talks with uh, some groups on partnering with stuff like that. And I mean, you know, I, I have no interest in bringing on that much overhead with engineers and geologists and, in and that sort of thing. I want our guys focused on the business development aspect, yeah. And we'll let somebody else that like has that technological expertise cover that part, yeah. Um, so that's sort of the uh, the angle that we're. That's taking. That's what I always
1: thought was just like crazy with Cadres that they, I mean their GNA was just had to be sky yeah. like mm-hmm. these investment bankers make good money right and you got tons of them I'm like mm-hmm. God man they have to their <laughs> payroll <laughs> has to be insanely yeah. high and yeah. so it's so what I've always like thought is like you know partner up with other firms on the technical aspects of due diligence and that way you're not carrying it as a fixed cost. Exactly.
2: Yeah. And so like for those deals that you mentioned before that were like, there's not as much hardcore due diligence being done. Um, those traditionally are deals that buyers really aren't doing as much due diligence on either because it's not worth their time. So like when you're talking about like sub, you know, two, three, four, $5 million deals, there's a lot of times it's depending on the buyer, it's going to, you know, they're not. It just yeah. depends on how much time and money they're actually going to spend. Yeah. Sometimes way. you know the due diligence seats into you know their
1: costs are just not worth the time, and I like, could rather just. Well, yeah,
2: and especially like the seller, like a lot of times the buyers will just look at the check stubs and they'll say, okay, the operator has run their title on the on that particular you know on that lease or that unit, and they think they're in pay. So I'm not going to spend I'm not going to spend you know ten thousand dollars sending a landman out to the courthouse to run title back to patent. Yeah. You know? Like surely
1: something would have came up if, um, if mineral exactly. owners were getting screwed, something would have yeah, came up. Yeah, and that's a so. business risk
2: that a lot of these firms take. I mean, that's just part of it.
0: Yeah. So on the mineral side, you guys are, I mean, I'm assuming it's probably like a SAS model subscription fee to-, to Yep, exactly. I, is it yeah. is it flat fee across the board? Is it scale as you're doing more uh, Yeah. Yeah, more it kind
2: of, it varies. I mean, we have, we have some clients that are flat. Um, typically, it depends on, you know, especially on the revenue side, like number of wells, mm-hmm. um, you know, that are processed. Cause obviously like if you've got a, a private, a, you know, private equity back group that comes in and you know, they're in pay on 2000 wells and make a big acquisition, like it's pretty much impossible to say like, Oh, you're just going to pay six grand for this year. I mean, like yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's got to scale in some capacity. Um, so it scales both on the, the, the uh, like per well side and then also like how many counties and states and that sort of thing you're tracking because we're providing, you know, that well permit and production data, basically everything that you would get from any of
0: the, the other high level data providers. So walk us through, or I guess walk the audience through really, how does it happen before software was really around to manage on the mineral side before we even talk about transacting at all?
2: Uh, Yeah. So (laughs) typically it's hard copy property folders, Excel spreadsheets, uh, you know, check stubs, um, you know, and trying to kind of put all those together. So, and I think I mentioned this earlier, but the operating company that I worked for, we had a mineral purchasing arm, uh, that was tied to it. And I, so that's why I immediately knew that this kind of mineralware, uh, concept, you know, made a lot of sense is because, you know, I remember getting like, I get division order in the mail or a offer and I'm going to pull the file. And then I'm going into the railroad commission website manually to see what activity Mm -hmm. looks like. And then I would go pull the check steps. And it was like, what, like what in the world is going on? There's gotta be a better way to do
0: this. And there was a lot of, constant reconciliation between the two. And then, yeah.
2: And it was, and it was like, you checked it that one day, the next day it's out of date. Cause there might've been a new permit filed. There might've been, I mean, it was, you know, new well that was completed. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can happen. Uh, And that's, that's traditionally how it's done. And that's why, you know a lot of these like especially you got to like midland not to not to rag on the family offices in midland but like that's just how business has been done i mean there's family offices out there that have been doing business this way for 80 years these are companies that bring in millions of dollars a year i mean they're effectively like quarter jv partners with these operators mm-hmm. and they're still literally they've got you know a bunch of people sitting at desks like you know flipping
0: through checks up i would imagine it's pretty common that royalty owners get screwed right and there's constant reconciliation going back, checking production data, checking check stuff yeah. like that. Yeah,
2: yeah. So we actually, um, so we found uh, almost, I want to say, I'm probably going to butcher this and the middleware guys are going to get mad at me, but <laughs> it's like almost three and a half a million we found for uh, our middleware clients up to this point. Wow. Um, so the way that we do it essentially is like when, so all of our clients' tracks are mapped out. Like I said, we overlay all the well and mm-hmm. permit data, production data and all that. And uh, when the check subs come in, we have a, an automatic way to match all the API numbers. Um, so it's identifying the wells on the map that they're in pay on and the ones that they're not. And then we run, there's, we're able to geospatially locate the wells that are producing on their tracks or that traverse their tracks that they're not getting paid on. And it basically rolls it up into a CSV and spits it out. Traditionally, that's a process that's done manually. It's basically calling around all the, all the operators like, you know, are there any, you know, is there, are there any suspended funds held under one of my like, you know, predecessor entities or something like that. And typically the reason is, like, like we found on one big chunk there was, like, $2 bucks in suspense. And it was on two or three wells in one of our client's, like, 10 entities. And it was something as simple as, like, a bad zip code on a division order or something that they apparently sent out, you know, two or three years before that. And, um, of course, it's just sitting on the operator's books the whole time. And, um, you know, who knows where it goes <laughs> from there. So...
1: Um, yeah, the land and mineral space over the last five years, you know, it's just such a low hanging fruit because it's just like, how are you guys still doing this on paper? And, yeah. you know, you talk about one of my favorite stories I have people that went viral one time on Twitter, but I was talking about at um, NAPE 2020. Yeah. Last year. Um, two landmen got in a fight, a fist fight over an overriding royalty interest, mm-hmm. and I thought it was funny as shit. Oh, yeah. But was this
0: the one at the party? Yeah. It okay. Was at this
1: party. <laughs> yeah. Which party was that at? I admit it was at some house. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. I thought some, you meant at the party we were at. No, it was at okay. some low key house party. Which is funny though, because I had a guy come by the office here two weeks ago. He's like, "Hey, man," he's like the first time I heard about you or saw you is because someone screenshotted your tweet about the fight. He's like, that was at my place. I was <laughs> <That's> like, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, that's but great. it's like, you have these disputes over something that you would think that's kind of pretty black and white, but there's just so, yeah. you know, th- there's, so much that goes into it and it's hard to keep control. It's like, even when we had our little bullshit stripper wells up in Oklahoma, Mm -hmm. you know, dealing with just the administrative and mineral owners on those, I was like, man, I could see once you extrapolate this over, you know,
2: a a bigger asset, it becomes a problem quick. Yeah. Yeah, in Oklahoma too. I mean, they have the, um, if you hold fun in suspense, there's that, you know, there's you need a whole point. app
0: just to deal with OCC, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like easy OCC or something. That's what you need.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I mentioned this earlier. Like when we, when we basically spent two and a half, three years, like putting all these processes in place to aggregate, all the well data and everything production data nationwide from every state and i think oklahoma we spent about half of that time half the time i believe it 100 <laughs> yeah yeah 100%. i mean it's, it's pretty it's pretty backwards and which is important like i said i went to ou i've got a lot of friends in oklahoma i spent a lot of time up there so it'd be nice if they could kind of turn things around yeah for sure
0: this episode is brought to you by data creation whether an operator is striving to meet production quotas in a new asset or managing a mature field with declining production the challenge can be the same Oil and gas companies want to optimize production from each well to help attain profitability goals and return on investment. The improved oil recovery optimization solutions native to DataGration's PetroVisor platform help operators identify underperforming wells, choose the best secondary oil recovery techniques, optimize artificial lift programs and equipment, check surface facilities health, and maximize uptime. This unified platform helps automate business processes improves collaboration among teams, and provides complete data visibility through all operational functions. Methods such as virtual flow metering, pattern recognition, and events detection help reduce the risk of underperformance and well failure, and forecast well problems. Together, these workflows help customers identify and solve well performance issues that affect production across the field. To learn more, just go to datagration.com.
1: So like on the pricing of assets on the exchange, You know, I don't know what the mineral market looks like. Um, You know, there there was kind of like this gridlock in A&D over the last, you know, just Mm -hmm. when everything happened with COVID and pricing. Huge spread on the bid ask. You know, sellers obviously didn't want to let go of assets, but buyers didn't think that assets were worth um, Mm -hmm. that much. How do you guys tackle this on an exchange, and what is? I know you you kind of touched on the pricing mechanism a little bit, talking about you know auctions and things of that nature. Um, but how do you find that price discovery, and is there any kind of like benchmark of pricing? And I just kind of like I think it's interesting, you know, that you guys probably have proprietary data from the mineralware side that may give you insight into the mineral market, and can that be used at all to kind of like give clarity into the marketplace on the mm,
0: exchange? It's a good question.
2: Yeah. So, you know, we've given that a little thought. Uh, it's a little bit dicey because, you know, when you're talking about mineralware clients, like these, a lot of these, you know, these folks that, I mean, they're, you know, uh, older family offices. These are very private people. Mm-hmm. And so in order to sort of leverage data like that, you have to have some very specific language in your agreements. And yeah. I'd be lying to you if I said that we didn't get a little pushback from a lot. I mean, we oh, do have, absolutely. Some, I I mean, have some language in there that's that's very basic. It's like, look, we we want to simply use like de-identified analytic data. And um, and that's basically it. We're just, and, and we're kind of, we've sort of conceptualized, like how can we put like some sort of analytics tool together? Um, we've been so busy with, energy domain and freelance that like we know eventually that's going to be something that we move towards but we yeah. just it's hard because like so for example on energy domain i've gotten the question a lot like are you going to use uh transaction prices and like republish them somehow and i'm like man that is such a slippery slope to go down because then like when you're a seller you're like okay so you're basically selling my data and it's making it i don't know it's it just it's uh it no, i mean kind the, of,
1: the way the data is handled is always the yeah. pivotal so thing, there like-
2: There's a, definitely a sweet spot where like you're providing value to both the buyers and the sellers, but you don't want to kind of take one side and make it too easy. Yeah. 100%. I mean, obviously you want lots of both on
0: your yeah. platform. So on the energy domain side, do you make your money on the buyer seller side or is it just overall transaction?
2: Yeah. So actually that's a really good question. So it is free to list. Okay. It is free to create an account. Um, it's always, it's all based on the transaction. And actually we, we uh, split the commission between the seller and the buyer. Um, so it's a little bit different, I think, I, I think it's smart. It's a little bit different than traditional platforms. And the way that, again, it's a little different is other platforms kind of like, if you make a, uh, if you make an offer, it essentially is, I mean, it's binding and you got to wire the funds in like one, mm-hmm. two, three days. So, um, that, you know, in my opinion, that kind of limits your. Your buyer pool, like that limits the amount of buyers that are coming to the table. Cause think if you're at an auction and there's like five days left and it's a big deal. Like as a buyer, are you are gonna spend your time doing the due diligence on that deal when you feel like somebody's just gonna poach it last minute or somebody's already kind of spent their time on it? So the way that we're that we've differentiated ourselves is in the closing process, the buyer actually puts up the entire commission up front, um, all through we've integrated escrow.com through their API. So basically they put up the full commission. Uh, it sits there, and then they have 30 days to conduct their due diligence on the deal. Um, so obviously, there are some thresholds that come into play. Like if there's a, a defect, they can report defects directly on the platform, and all the payments and everything are settled directly on the platform. So there's no kind of back and forth in between, a, you know, emailing me like closing documents or anything like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, how are you able to handle? I mean, it's a technical question, but now I'm thinking about it. Like if you're handling transactions and payments through the platform, how? You be able to handle, like, the super large transactions. So, actually,
2: it's not handled through the platform. It's handled... Well, it's handled through the platform, but through escrow.com. Okay. So, we actually never hold on to client funds. We don't hold on to the deed, anything like that. Uh, it's all facilitated through third-party okay. th- agreements. Yeah. So, escrow, I mean, escrow.com, they're... You know, if you look them up, I mean, they're basically the premier money exchange platform mm-hmm. in the world. I mean, they've... They're, they're basically in existence to, to literally buy and sell, like, airplanes and stuff like that. So... Nice. There is no... There's no limit as far as, you know, what they can.
1: Are they actually a broker too? So, are you guys going to be, do you have to maintain a broker license or use a third party?
2: So, um,
1: yeah. So you mean, is escrow? Yeah. Like is escrow, do they act as a a broker dealer? No, they don't. They don't.
2: Um, you know, we are, we've been looking into that. Um, but, uh, I sat down with lots of securities attorneys, so. Yeah. I, uh, the, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, high yeah. level question is we, we will have our T's crossed and I's done. Yeah. I can't really go into that's it more fine. that. <laughs> that's fine. Um, I just find it
1: like if you break down, because this has been done a lot in the real estate space. So you have uh yield street, you have cadre, you have roof stock, mm-hmm. you have, um, shit. There's another one that's slipping my mind, but mm-hmm. all of them run off of different models. Like I pretended I was an investor for all of them and uh, (laughs) got offering docs and then just Broke down their offering docs to see mm-hmm. how their companies were structured and their deals were structured, mm-hmm. and all of them operate some different way. And I've seen some operating off of third-party broker dealers. I've seen some like Cadre has their own broker dealer, mm-hmm. and so it's always interesting how that is facilitated as well. But we don't have to go into it. it's really yeah. boring
0: conversation. Yeah, That's, for sure. We might I'm put like, everybody to sleep talking about. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, securities, securities a lot. Money sitting up funds. Put it, I'll
2: put it this way: it's. Uh, um, what I'll say about it is it's been a very great area for a long period of time, especially in the oil and gas space. Yeah. And um it uh there's it's it's not gonna be clear anytime soon. Oh, that's think. what's
1: that's what sucks is like hire this white shoe security law firm and they come in and like, yeah, you know, there's not really Yes or no? It's just kind of a gray area, and like right. that's not what I want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like can we get? Yeah, you want to know why of... they
2: bill eight hundred
1: dollars an hour? Yeah,
0: exactly. Um, gray area land <laughs> you in prison. Yeah, a yeah. little gray area though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You.
1: So you know when you look at um, like what's been done traditionally in the industry, you know, there's been a couple of players that have been like the online um kind of asset clearing and liquidation. How do, like, one, how is the mineral market, anyways, in terms of transacting now? Like, are deals happening and do people like doing it? Because, like, what I've always heard, I mean, this is, I, I know it's not the truth, but just kind of like cliche is like the stuff that gets put up online is always the garbage, you know?
0: Yeah. Like, how do you get there's a stigma around that for sure. Yeah.
1: How do you get over that? Like, you know, I think, like, I think, the, I think market, digital marketplaces are the future mm-hmm. and the internet has, enabled that but how do you like get over the stigma of like oh it's only garbage on there well
2: i think two things so traditionally like even when some of these older platforms launched you still had kind of this older generation that was sort of managing a lot of the money and the decisions and everything and they're all like you know, all kind of like transacting properties online. Like, what are you talking about? You know? Um
0: What is the cloud? Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> I'm not <and> a cat. <laughs> so, so now you're seeing these
2: younger generations stepping into, you know, because there's that big gap kind of between, like, the guys that are 50-ish right now and, like, guys that are our age. You know, and so you're seeing guys that are our age step into these managerial roles and make these decisions, and they're much more, you know, Saddy. tech affluent. Yeah, like, they like the concept of being able to, to limit you know, any sort of inefficiencies that they have in their day to day. So you've got, you know, you got that side. And then on the flip side for the mineral game on any other online platform, it's traditionally been professional to professional, um, with our relationships on the mineral side and our reach on that side, you know, mineral owners right now are pretty much inundated on a day to day basis with offers that are all over the board for their assets that's intimidating to them. There's no transparency to them. And so, you know,
1: talk about that process a little bit for someone that doesn't know because they're just getting bombarded by landmen, right? Just yeah, so them well, a
2: traditional way that you know, a lot and you know, I, I'm not gonna paint a, a big brush around mineral buying groups because a lot of them are gonna be our clients. Um I but uh you know, it's <laughs> yeah. I could say but it. like there's but there's a lot of groups that are still doing mass mailers, which is fine. Basically, they go through the tax rolls. They find an area that is, uh, that you know, production looks great. There's a bunch of PUDs or permits that are filed. And, they and then they make, got sweatshops. Of yeah. Land and they literally are just making out. phone
1: calls and sending mailers. Phone calls, will
2: send mailers. And, and, and it's all over the board. Every team has a different way of evaluating deals. They use different, like, cash flow models and all that stuff. And they apply different values to permits and all that. And so, you know, consequently, you get, you get these mineral owners that are, you know, think about the average demographic of a mineral owner. You know, they're 50 to 85 years old for the most mm-hmm. part. And uh, they're getting all these offers all of the board and they're like, you know, I'm always told not to sell, not to sell. Um, but in a lot, of, and it's, what's forcing that more, I think, is they're seeing all these offers that are all over the board. And they're like, these people are just out here to screw me. They're trying to screw me. Yeah. yeah. And so. so they feel we're, like
1: there's no trust or transparency.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And so what we're creating is, so so now with our reach to these mineral owners, we're creating a very transparent easy way for them to list their minerals and with zero obligation to sell, right? So they can basically put their minerals up. Like, you know, like I mentioned before, they can do a continuous listing. They, there's, you know, um, again, there's not a whole lot of effort on their end or our end to create the listing. Yeah. If it doesn't sell, it doesn't sell. We don't really collect a fee on it yeah. and, um, off you
1: go. And that kind of goes back to what I was talking about with price discovery, because mm-hmm. there you had price discovery issue with, you got some 70 year old and, you know, he wants to liquidate the assets and, you know, yeah. pay for whatever. And he's getting 20 offers from landmen that are all over the board. Mm-hmm. And so now he has like, yeah, you could take the the top one, but obviously there's some discrepancy in pricing. So he doesn't yeah. feel comfortable taking any offer. And it's like in the marketplace, how, you know, you can, there's like, a few ways to find price discovery. It's either you have data that backs up, you know, what are going rates for minerals in Howard County, or you have some type of, um, auction process, um, that helps find price discovery, mm-hmm. or you just have a continuous listing like you guys do. And it's like, Hey, you just leave it up here until you find something that, yeah,
2: you know, suits you. Right. And so
1: do you guys, are, are y'all planning on doing any auctions?
2: No. Yeah. So, th- so there is an auction uh, component to it. There so, is Okay. Yeah. So we basically, um, built it out kind of how eBay did. I mean, basically you, so the seller has complete control of what sort of listing they're creating. They can do an auction or they can do a non-auction. Um, one of the big differentiators as well is if they choose an auction, they can also elect to accept offers on the side and they can put in a buy it now price. So if they put in a, you know, an elevated buy it now price, that just, you know, and somebody wants to come in and like, they don't even want to wait for the auction end. Um, Cause they're worried about, you know, vultures and stuff like that. Yeah. they can just hit buy it now and it's off the table or they can come in, make an offer on the side. And the way that the, the auction process works is it's all, uh, it's all proxy bidding. So basically you come in, you put in your max bid and just like any other platform, you know, it would, somebody, you know, it was max bid was at 5 million bucks and you put in your, you know, your max at 10, somebody came in at six, it would then kick up your bid to, you know, whatever the bid increment is above 6 million. And so basically it's preventing you from having to like sit there and, look at the listing the whole time. Yeah. And like in our platform, with everything is, there's notifications for everything. So like you make a bid and or you place a bid and you're the high bidder, you get a notification, you're outbid, you get a notification. So it's just kind of keeping you into the know. Um, I spent and, six months last year studying auction theory. Yeah.
1: And yeah, I'm like super fascinated by <laughs> auctions.
2: <fucking> <laughs> we should have, well, that was like right when we were building our uh, auction. You should yeah,
1: have. You should have came that. and listened to me. Yeah. <laughs> like Dutch auctions, fucking old English auctions, big yeah. auctions. Like I'm yeah. all about it. But one thing that was interesting that I learned was um, I had this paper from HBS and they actually studied, like, there's no auctions that happen on eBay anymore. Like I'm talking like a small percentage mm-hmm. of transactions that happen are auctions. It's all buy it now. And you had this steep drop off in 2008, 2010. And they're like, why the fuck did auctions just drop off so steeply? Uh And what they found, like there was all this theory. Like my theory was that you had more access to information on the internet. So you knew that little trinket that you had, like people knew what they, what it was worth. And so you didn't need an auction anymore. But what they found was that people were actually just bidding on stuff for entertainment. And once social media came around, they were preoccupied with social media and so they no longer needed to get entertainment from auctions. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. HBS has a huge case study that was ran by data scientists and like that yeah. was it's like these people just got entertained by Facebook and Twitter.
2: <laughs> I think that's usually the answer for a lot of things that like just go wrong. You're like, oh, it's just social media. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Everything comes back to social media. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I think that um, you know, the inefficiencies and buying and selling assets you know there's a a lot of things that um you know just from the due diligence of a transaction to the paperwork but i think like the trust and transparency especially for these smaller sellers Mm -hmm. is like that's a huge thing because like i've never like my i come from a family of landmen and Mm -hmm. i mean everyone that Reach out to is like, fuck you, quit calling me. Yeah. You know, right, like no one likes Landman. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So I think that that's really compelling and interesting. Um, and then what is the freelance platform that you mentioned?
2: Yeah. So uh, Energy Freelance kind of came out of just like anything, like you guys, like we sit in a room and it's like, we've got a need for this. Like, why don't we just do it? We did it with narrowware, We're doing it with Energy Domain. So, um, you know, we've got, we had a lot of clients on the mineralware side. I've talked to a lot of folks uh, through, you know, energy domain as well that, you know, they need like these one-off services, whether it's, you know, I need a lease negotiated or I need, you know, I'm a family office. I don't want to incur the overhead of hiring a full-time landman. You know, I, I want to understand what I own. I need somebody to go out to, you know, these eight counties in West Texas where I am minerals and run title, you know pull mm-hmm. my documents and just get us organized, you know? And, um, so that, that essentially is what freelance is. It's not just land work. It is a, it's a freelancing platform for oil and gas professionals. Um, so landmen, right way agents, uh, you know, solar, wind, um, uh, CPAs, attorneys, if they're specific, you know, uh, uh, independent, you know, folks that have an independent practice that, you know, they, uh, let's say that you're, you know, your, your area of expertise is I'm a I'm a title attorney and I am you know I I I'm all about East Texas and that's where my experience is um if you're a work provider and you put up a project in East Texas and you need some title work done it will match you to it and then they will bid on the project yeah. so it basically is serves our client base without us incurring all the crazy overhead and yeah. also it provides con- work for Exactly. But, I mean, I, yeah, I think we can all, we know a lot of guys that yeah. are on that side of the fence that need some work right now. Yeah, you know, absolutely.
1: So. Yeah. We, um, I mean, there's some people that are trying to build some things similar. And I think that, you know, we've seen what's happened to the gig economy and other mm-hmm. industries. And I think that there's definitely opportunity for the industry
0: The industry is prime for it. I mean, you think about it from, from an EMP standpoint of not having necessarily fixed costs and having some variable cost workers on board, yep. keeping your GNA a lot lower. Right. And being able to work with these flex workers. But also the finance firms that want
1: to acquire an
0: asset and they don't
1: have the technical staff or a family office, especially, you know, like think that you have a family office come on the platform and they want to allocate $10 million to buy minerals, but Mm. they don't know shit about minerals. And so they get a landman to do some due diligence for them. Like that's what it's made for. Right. And then like,
0: see, like on the engineer side, what if you want to work for like five different companies at the same time and potentially make more money for sure. You yeah. know? so I think it's a win-win for everybody
2: yeah I think like ultimately for us like obviously we're really excited about the three different platforms but for us it's much more about the integration of all of them and sort of cornering this mineral royalties and, and non-op market yeah so it's a, a, essentially the way that it's going to work and we're basically you know this year we'll be building out some internal and external apis uh both you know with middleware and and uh, energy domain and, and ultimately freelance where basically if you're a if you're a middleware client I mean right now they're getting Alerts when new permits are filed, you know, when new pooling orders are filed, like in Oklahoma, through the OCC, I mean, um, all that stuff. And so, eventually, like, if a mineralware client is also an energy domain client or they, they're registered through energy domain, if a deal goes live that, you know, is within a certain parameter of their interest, they'll be notified. Um, vice versa, let's say that you're a mineral owner and you want to, you're a mineralware client and you want to list a deal. I mean, basically you select a number of tracks, it moves all the revenue, all their tracks directly into the listing, all their documents, as opposed to, like you said earlier, like the inefficiencies that, that exist currently, like traditionally sellers are getting their deeds their check stubs, like all that stuff. And they're manually like putting it into something. And then on the other side of it is like, you buy a deal on energy domain. Um, You know, basically there's a automated way to just move that directly into a middleware account. You don't have to worry about ingesting all this information, this data, and like moving it into your own system and however you manage it which is like there's a lot of time effort and money involved in
0: that process yeah absolutely most of the due diligence that we ever did or the data that was transferred to do due diligence on deal came literally in emails or like spreadsheets of just like ah there's a couple pictures of some check stubs boomer shit is this Yeah. (laughs) yeah yeah yeah
1: so Energy Domain um, will be launching soon. You guys haven't gone live yet. Mid-March is yeah. the target date for it going out. Hopefully, on, right? yeah. Cool. So if someone's listening to this show, you know, if they, uh, if there's a mineral owner, like, man, our SEO is getting on point on Digital Wildcat or so. like what I'm hoping is like someone out in Howard County is like, I want to sell my minerals. And yeah. Right, really go right, right. And right. this episode comes up. Yeah. Um, you know, if they want to find mineralware, um, you know, to manage minerals, where can they find you guys at? And energy domain,
2: when yeah. launches,
1: where, where can they find you guys at? Yeah.
2: So, I mean, it's, yeah, pretty straightforward. Just mineralware.com, cool. energydomain.com, energyfreelance.com. Man, so I, nice, say, so nice I will say, you say get I will say, I gotta give a <laughs> shout out to uh, Ryan who is, he is like the domain king. Like the second he gets any idea, he just buys like everything and get his hands on. You know, <laughs> that's what happened to digital wallcatters. Yeah. So. It's a good fucking name. Yeah, you we've got get the some domain. <laughs> we've get, no. We should be in the domain business. We've got some really good domains. That's good. <laughs> that uh, stuff we're excited about. It's like, well, in case we have like fifteen company ideas, you know, we're covered. I saw a tweet yesterday on Twitter.
1: It's like, just sell that domain for that side hustle. You're never gonna yeah. do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, I don't want to know how many domains them. we own. These days. He did
2: sell one of his domains a while back. It was one that that uh, a pretty well known company in the space wanted. And it was oh like, yeah all right man oh yeah if they're willing
1: to pay for it yeah (laughs) we need cash yeah exactly (laughs) that's
2: awesome well thanks for coming on the show man super
1: interesting um you know if anyone's ever heard my rants about marketplaces i think it's the way of the future um and i think that they're you know really gonna increase efficiency in oil and gas assets and you know not just oil and gas but i think energy
2: as a whole so it's good to hear you guys and looking forward to it yeah man look forward to seeing you guys more in the future yeah appreciate you having me on
0: absolutely and let's do another Nate party again soon. No doubt. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know. 2022, man. 2022. Oh, yeah. I know. So sad. We will have to have you down for the crawfish boil, though. Please. We're when, when we doing yeah. that April. Yeah. April. Yeah. April? Ready to April sometime.
2: Socializing and doing some business development again.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. So if you guys are listening, we're doing a crawfish boil sometime in April. We don't know when. Just get on Twitter. You can follow us at FrackSlaps. Colin. I think I'm at Jacob Corley. But don't call me Jacob. All right, guys. We'll catch you in the next episode.